this is Karen Motokaitis. I've always been interested in human interest stories and other people's journeys. Through the years, I've sought out mentors and resources, and now I'm sharing them with you. This talk show is meant to inspire, empower, entertain, and be a resource for women. The show provides an opportunity for women to learn so they can empower their own lives. You can contact us at howshe at gmail.com. Today we have Dr. David Hawkins. He's a nationally renowned psychiatrist, physician, researcher, and lecturer. He is also an internationally known spiritual teacher, author, and speaker on the subject of advanced spiritual states, consciousness, research, and the realization of the presence of God itself. He is here today to discuss one of his best-selling books, Power Versus Force, The Hidden Determinants of Human Behavior. Welcome, Dr. Hawkins. Well, it's a pleasure to be on, on this program with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's an honor. So I really appreciate you taking the time. About the book, uh, a story that I wanted to tell you is that back last May, somebody that I really respect had recommended the, your book to me to read. And I read a lot of books for the show. So I, it was on the back of my mind. And in that period of time, I kept having, it, your book kept coming back. Somebody else would recommend it or it just, it would be mentioned on the radio or something that was happening. And then it finally, I was at a conference and Martha Beck, who I've had on the show before, she's a life coach. Um, she talked about your book, Power Versus Force, and had us do an activity where we do the power versus force in our thoughts. And you talk about that in your book. And after that, I decided, okay, I need to read this book. I need to interview you. You keep coming into my life. And um, I think there's important information that we can put out there to my listeners. So that's, that's how you came about being on this program. I know you were asking me before we got on the air, how did a man come on a program for women? But I, <laughs> I do feel that you have a lot to contribute, whether we're men or women. So... That's how well, you're I, my my research and uh, what I talk about has nothing to do with gender. <laughs> it has to do with the human condition mm-hmm. and and how to capitalize on its uh, assets, its upside, how to capitalize on the assets of being a human and decrease the downside because being human is also quite painful and stressful. <laughs> Indeed, it is. Yeah, I respect any human being that walks all the way through this world because it's. Uh, ad- adversity, uh, right and left. First, let's talk about, I guess, universal energy and what that is for those of our listeners that may not know. All right. Uh, both both uh, spiritual uh, tradition uh, and religious uh, history and modern advanced theoretical physics all agree on one thing, that uh, encompassing the entire universe is an energy field of infinite power. Uh, the power available in one cubic centimeter of space, energy, the energy available, the power available, is equivalent in, in its equivalent in mass would be the mass of the whole universe. That, so what we're saying is that the infinite space out of which arises the entire universe contains infinite power, limitless power. And uh, the idea is to learn how to take advantage of that power uh, in your own behalf, how to tune into that power and bring it into your life so that your intentions 
tend to manifest just by the sheer power of the context in which you're holding them. We all know that what you hold in mind tends to manifest. That's an old adage. But uh, positive thoughts uh, are far more powerful if you do the mathematics on it. The mathematics is that a, a loving thought or a positive thought has about 10 million times more energy than a negative thought. Uh, and uh, a positive thought uh, has a different effect in the brain. Positive thoughts uh, release endorphins. Endorphins are automatically healing transmitter neurotransmitters. And when you hear fear, fearful thoughts or negative thoughts, such as regret or anger or resentment, uh, that releases left-brain hormones, which are fight-or-flight. Fight-or-flight re re releases adrenaline, but it also increases uh, illness. So to be more successful in every area of life, you know, from occupation to family life to personal relationships uh, to recovering from illnesses, uh, a positive uh, emotional context to your life uh, is extremely powerful, extremely powerful. Just a loving thought, just a loving thought, you know, to a little dog going by or to the person who gives you the change in the store empowers your life. And people tend to be sort of niggardly. They don't want to say thank you to the cashier. But uh, for an experiment, what you do is you, everybody you encounter, uh, you treat them as you would your favorite dog or your favorite kitty. You, you make some kind of a passing positive motion or statement or thank you very much for waiting on me. And if you say thank you very much for waiting on me, to most clerks, they drop their teeth. <laughs> 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 the checkout counter at the supermarket. Thanks for waiting on me. She looked at me like, huh? <laughs> but it changed her day. It changed her day. Now, with those positive thoughts, because you talk about in the book, it's it's how we see things. Like in here, there was a, a line that says, all stress is internally generated by one's attitudes. It is not life's events, but one's reaction to them that activates the symptoms of stress. Yes, that's true. It's uh, not the world, but your perception of the world. If you see the world as an opportunity for growth and development of strength, and just accept that within every every adver ad adversity, there is a hidden blessing uh, as a rule, and it may take a little while for the blessing to show up, but sooner or later you will. If you hold that in mind, everything has a hidden blessing, and... Uh, if you have a resentment or a negative feeling, it's because you don't quite see the, the uh, positive side of it yet, but you will in due time. So are you talking about when, some, when one goes through a difficult time, there is still something, that it is still a blessing. There is something to benefit from that. Well, there's a discovery of inner strength you didn't know about. Uh, there's, there's capacity to learn how to overlook things. Instead of uh, holding them to yourself, you know, an endless grudge or something like that. The willingness to forgive, the willingness to be loving, uh, compassion for all living things. So the basic rule that empowers everyone is uh, a loving compassion for all of life and all of its expressions. If you see a little beetle laying on his back,
back on the sidewalk and his little legs are waving in the air. You've got your choice. You can either grind, grind him into the ground with your heel and stomp him, mm-hmm. or you could hesitate and take a twig and turn him over. Now you'll find if you take a twig and turn him over and walk on, you feel different than you do if you stomp him. <laughs> <laughs> because the lovingness that you radiate out affects uh, everything around you. Yeah, because we live in an immense energy field, levels of energy, actually. And your attitude towards life decides what level you're going to live in. So a person who is uh, forgiving and loving uh, and tries to see the best side of things actually lives in a different world. They don't live in the same world as the people who are negative and nasty. In fact, the world doesn't even look the same. A loving person will see an old Derek standing on the street corner and say, oh, look at him. He looks like a, a character out of a novel or something like that. And you walk by and you say hi to him. And somebody else who comes from fear and resentment and all will say, look at that ugly man. Why don't the police take those people away? He looks like a criminal to me. You know? you know, what you're saying is you're projecting your own viewpoints onto the world. And, you know, So the world that you expect, uh, it begins to turn out to be that way. People will visit New York, and uh, to me, New York is the friendliest place. Uh, you can stop anybody on the street, start a conversation, and it's like one big small town. Other people will say, oh, I hate the people in New York. They're so cold and friendly and hostile. Well, it's the same New York City, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How come I have a wonderful time no matter who I meet? <laughs> you know? So it's truth versus perception. <laughs> yeah, right. So what you're experiencing is not what the world is. What you're experiencing is what you're holding about the world, and uh, your your positive viewpoint begins to uh, affect the world. You know, yeah. <laughs> now, when you when you were talking about our viewpoints and how we see things, children, for the most part, are very enthusiastic. They, you know, they seem to be very. Um, yeah. They're wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not. They're not judgmental of other people. And is it, so are, do they function at a higher level than we do as adults? Well, you might say they have a higher degree of happiness depending on their level of frustration, depending on the kind of parenting they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, the tendency of uh, of the child is to laugh at everything, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? And is that why people are also more attracted to them? I mean, adults and other people will gravitate towards children. They'll look at a little kid and say, oh, right. isn't that cute? <laughs> and, and that's what you're talking about. If, if we have these positive thoughts in our heads, we're going to be more, we're going to attract more people. Yes, and we're, we're going to benefit the world. Uh-huh. You'll, you'll notice how people are attracted to a, a, a cat's purr uh-huh. or a dog's wagging tail. Or an infant smile, mm-hmm. that which is intrinsically innocent and loving, uh, has a whole different aura about it. So the way we empower ourselves is we learn from them. And uh, I have a kitty right here right now. And uh, <laughs> all I have to do is look at the kitty and, and say, hi, cutie, and she starts to purr, starts to purr. In the background, you hear some noise, too. I have an African gray parrot. Okay. Who likes to chime in on my conversation on the phone once in a while? 
And for our listeners, I mean, when they hear us discussing this, a lot of them will say, well, these are really simple concepts. And in your book, you state that these are simple. They, they are in practice. Uh, of course, what we did is we, you know, we calibrated the levels of consciousness. Consciousness is the infinite power uh, of which I was speaking before. Mm-hmm. And um, it influ- And everyone has a, a, ca- a calibratable level of consciousness. You can make a scale from one to a thousand. And uh, you can, by a simple technique, muscle testing technique, you can actually calibrate the level of consciousness of anything or anybody or any attitude or any company. And uh, it's either positive or negative. And uh, if um, that which is positive is attractive and uh, tends to promote... um, Success in whatever it does. There, there are people who whose energy is high, and they will be successful at anything they do. It doesn't make any difference what they're going to do. They're going to be good at it. And then there are people whose attitude is negative, and they're not going to succeed no matter what they do, because they always undermine themselves because they summon forth negative emotions from others instead of positive emotions. So you want to say, are people glad to see me coming or not? Let's <laughs> <laughs> start with the clerks and the stores. I'm talking with Dr. David Hawkins about his book, <laughs> Power Versus Force, The Hidden Determinants of Human Behavior, on how she really does it on KDRT LP 101.5 FM. And uh, before we, uh, with Universal Energy, when I was reading about that in your book, I immediately brought me to a, The Course in Miracles another book that I'm reading and doing the workbook. And, yeah, that's um, a great one. Uh, Judy Whitsum is going to come on the show. That's great. In, in, in the future, in a few months. But um, so maybe we should talk about The Course in Miracles for those that aren't familiar with The Course in Miracles. And I know you've taught that. Yeah, the, uh, the workbook, I am very enthused about the workbook. It calibrates at 600, which is extraordinarily high. Uh, rather than the... There's also a textbook, which I don't recommend. I say just do the workbook, forget the textbook. Oh, the reading part? Yeah, the textbook calibrates lower, and you get lost in mentalization. The, the, the workbook is just, you know, the, the bare bones of it, and it has a tremendous effect on people. People's lives have just uh, totally skyrocketed once they do the workbook. Takes a year, one lesson a day for a year. And the but, less- it's, but it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> and the lessons don't take that much time. No, it'd be like my thoughts don't mean anything. You say what? My thoughts don't mean anything. You know, you think about it. <laughs> After a while, you realize no, your thoughts don't mean anything. Is what you heard on TV yesterday. <laughs> uh, so, so with with the workbook, do you, it's once in the morning and once in the evening, correct? Well, you, you just do it in the morning, and, uh, yeah, you can repeat it later in the day. But usually people just tend to repeat it throughout the day. They stick it on their mirror or by the stove or something, you know. And it's it, change, it helps us change the way we think? Oh, yes, it does. And if you calibrate a person's level of energy before they do the Course of Miracles and after, you'll find that their calibrated level of consciousness jumps way up. And... Uh, and their likelihood to heal from things. Yep. 
Well, because I find a lot of times you'll read books and you can understand the concepts, yeah. but then you don't have the tools to make those changes. Yeah. No, the, the workbook is just a lesson and you just play with it in your head. And, uh, but it's transformative and it brings about, frankly, brings about the miraculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, actual, the actually miraculous, the actually miraculous. In fact, that after a while, the miraculous becomes almost common and ordinary. When did you get involved with the Course in Miracles? Oh, that was many years ago. I knew uh, Helen Trickman, who uh, was the scribe for it. Uh-huh. And I knew the people, uh, Jerry Jampolsky, who wrote Love is Letting Go of Fear. And I knew all the people that originated it. And, um, in fact, the publisher was not far from where I was uh, the head of the psychiatry at a hospital in Long Island. And so I knew all the people involved and uh, and started uh, the first, there was an attitudinal healing center. We treated hopeless conditions um, in a group setting uh, at no cost. And uh, the group did the Course of Miracles, uh, the lessons. And that's the group in which we saw every, every kind of a thing heal, every kind of a cancer and brain disease and hopeless uh, conditions. That were able to be reversed. Yeah, they, they recovered from them. And then is that what led you to what you do now? Because you, 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 you did leave your practice. What did you say? You did leave your practice, your psychiatric practice, correct? Yes, I practiced for 50 years. I had the largest practice in the United States. And you left that to pursue researching? I left that uh, because uh, my spiritual state advanced to the point that it was difficult to function in the world. And I retreated for several years uh, into a state of infinite bliss, frankly, and inner silence, and only slowly reemerged back into the world uh, because a recovery place for adolescent girls had no doctor, and so they entreated me to go there, and so I did that for about 12 years couple mornings a week anyway, and there wasn't any doctor in town, so I began seeing patients again. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the only one around, so I did that only because of my obligation to my fellow man. I feel you have an obligation to God, to yourself, and to your fellow man. Okay. Let's, and then you mentioned your level of consciousness. So what level are you at? Oh, you can't really tell your own level. Oh. of consciousness very accurately. I, I've reached the state that the world calls enlightened, enlightened, you know, and I'm referred to technically as a mystic, a mystic, a sage. That's what the current books that are being written about me call me. <laughs> That's what the world says. They're just words. So let's talk about the maps, map of consciousness yes. and the different levels. And um, do you want to talk about them a little bit and maybe go through some of the different ones? Yeah, sure. The map of consciousness is an arbitrary scale of 1 to 1,000, just like an altimeter or a barometer or a thermometer. And uh, the lowest levels um, are the negative aspects of mankind. Uh, guilt, remorse, uh, hatred, uh, self-pity, uh, fear, anger, rage, hate, murder, all calibrate very low. 
And then about level 200, you move from the negative uh, to the positive. You move from negative uh, into neutral, and then from neutral, you gradually go into enthusiasm, which is in the level of the 300s. Enthusiasm, commitment, joining for good causes. Uh, the energy level of the 400s is the intellect. Greek books of the Western world, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Einstein, uh, are all in the 400s, Einstein at 499. And then at level 500, you now move into a more powerful paradigm. The level of 500 is love. Uh, now, the level of uh, the 12-step groups is 540. And that means, they say, just come to meetings and sit there and do nothing. And you'll get it by osmosis. So it's unconditional love. 540 by 570, it's, 540 is unconditional love. Uh, the high 500s are um, uh, serenity, uh, spiritual ecstasy, uh, joy. And then at level 600, you suddenly shift to infinite peace, and these are the enlightened states calibrated from 600 and up. Uh, very rare, very rare, but uh, a near-death experience brings it very close. Uh, I myself had a similar experience when I was just a teenager. Uh, in a snowstorm, I had a big paper route out in the rural Wisconsin. I dug a hole in, in the ice, or snow rather, to get away from the wind. And uh, I just got out of the wind, and all of a sudden I was enveloped by an infinite love uh, so profound, it's beyond all description, far beyond human love, and it was all, and it was identical with the core of my own reality, my own inner self, that which I am. It was the presence of what's classically called the self with a capital S, and replaced the self with a small s. And I lost all fear of uh, dying and all fear of death. I saw that that's ridiculous. Death is not even a possibility. The energy of life transforms from one condition to another, but you cannot destroy it. So I lost all fear of death, which, and then I was in World War II. And to, to have no fear of death was very convenient when <laughs> everybody around you is afraid of being blown up any second. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So it was uh, very convenient getting me through World War II. <laughs> and I've never had a fear of death since. So it's um, liberating. And occasionally there was somebody on TV just a week ago who had a near-death experience. And what he was describing was, you know, was true. You realize the infinite self that you really are. And... Um, People who've ever been out of body had the out of body experience. Know something about what that is, also. That you can be located a considerable distance from the physical body, and that which you really are is not really restricted to the physical body. It's one spirit. So you identify with your spirit instead of your physical body, <laughs> and you lose all fear of death because the spirit is indestructible. And. You talk about how this life that we know with our physical body is just one part of our life. It's it's a transition. It's a transition.
transition is uh, from one condition of realization to another, and you 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 make that transition uh, during an earthly life. You know, uh, Western world doesn't believe in karma, but the rest of the world does. India, and the Far East, and etc. And I studied also Buddhism for some years, and uh, the transition from considering yourself a physical body to being that that which experiences the physical body. See, I'm not the physical body, but I am that which experiences the physical body. Otherwise, how would I even know I had one? So what, what you consider to be yourself is really a state of consciousness, uh, and, and it's not dependent on the physical body. You can be conscious and above the body. People do this all the time during surgery. They go up near the top of the operating room, watch the whole surgery, and come back in the body later. <laughs> That's common knowledge. A lot of surgeons have found that out, unfortunately. They thought the patient was asleep. What they were saying was being heard by the patient. who <laughs> was sitting up near the top of the operating room, and she comes back in the body and says, why did you say that about my sister? <laughs> <laughs> She's not an ugly old hag. <laughs> now, surgeons have learned that the hard way, to watch what you say during surgery. Because although the patient seems physically unconscious, they are definitely still around. <laughs> so, Dr. Hawkins, how, is, how are the levels of consciousness, like how did you come up with the numbers and how was this calibrated? Um, it, it came to me, uh, well, I saw that, um, that there was a scale of power involved, there was a scale of uh, dimension. And that it affects your physical strength. If you hold something very positive in mind and lift a heavy bunch of books, you can do so without much effort. If you hold Adolf Hitler or Bin Laden or something negative in mind, lift the same stack of books, you'll notice it takes about four times the effort. So there is a shift of uh, the human body uh, is aware of this level of consciousness. And there's a simple test where you have the person hold out their arm and you press down on their wrist with two fingers and say resist. Now, if what you're holding in mind or what they're holding in mind is negative, their arm will go weak. And if what they're holding in mind is positive or true, their arm will go strong. So you can tell the difference between truth and falsehood in a matter of seconds with some practice, with a little practice, of course. With a little practice, you can... Uh, Holding something in mind. And uh, if it's true, the person's arm will go strong. And if it's, uh, so you do it with two people. And one says, one presses down on the, on, the elbow, on the wrist of the other person and says, resist. And says, what I'm holding in mind calibrates over 200, yes, 200, 300, 400. And then you'll come out with a number. And above that number, they'll go weak. So, for instance, you know, we had to decide whether or not to do this show with you. So mm -hmm. the first thing we did is do the arm on it. Is it integrous? Yes. Is it advisable? Yes. Does it serve the highest good? Yes. So we did. But sometimes we get a no. We say, no, don't go on the program. And would it serve the highest good? No. <laughs> <laughs> is the interviewer integrous? No. So we, when we get an invitation, that's the first thing we do. The, the office girl will come in and say, you better do the arm on this one. And then she'll say what the show is and where it is. And, and we 
do a and we give a yes or no depending on you know absolutely based on that. So we got a positive on on all of us. You're sure we would be here. So the t you, to do the tests, mm -hmm. it it needs to be with somebody else. Yeah. So that you can know the strength or the weakness. Yeah. Well, that's what you can do with yourself. Just a heavy pile of books. Uh, but the other way is the way we usually do it is we press down somebody's wrist. And I, I did a video uh, tape uh, years ago showing how to do the technique, and uh, it, it's a little hard to describe just verbally, but it's qu you can see it quickly when you see it visually. Well, yeah. This is the exercise that I did um, when I saw Martha Beck, and uh, I'm I'm pretty strong, and my friend that was with me, so she she had to move my arm. And she, she, she said that I was faking it at first because she couldn't believe that she could move me so easily. And then uh -huh. when we did the reverse and I went to her, she, yeah. she realized the power. Uh -huh. And she was amazed. It wasn't that I was faking her, just letting her push my arm. It was uh -huh. just the power versus the force. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's just a matter of uh, practice, like riding a bicycle. It takes a little, little playing around with it until you get the knack of it. But uh, it's very rewarding because you can find out things that nobody in the world knows, frankly. <laughs> now, is that a way to become more conscious within yourself? Yeah, it is because, you see, what, you, what you're asking for is the essence of a thing and not the appearance. What the world goes for is the sheep's clothing. Uh -huh. So the world is so naive, it's wondering to me that it survives at all. Because you can't tell that which is wicked from that which is uh, helpful. It, it just doesn't have the, the discernment. And people don't get spiritual discernment until, you know, a pretty high level of consciousness when they can automatically look at a thing and tell you whether it's, you know, good, good or wicked. <laughs> and so much in our, in our media, you know, is to camouflage things and make mm -hmm. it sound attractive, you see, even though it'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> or it's going to cure you where it actually is worthless <laughs> you're listening to Karen Motokaitis on how she really does it on KDRT LP 101.5 FM and we're talking with Dr. David Hawkins an internationally known spiritual teacher author, speaker, psychiatrist physician and researcher he's also the author of Power vs. Force which has been endorsed by Dr. Wayne Dyer, Mother Teresa, Lee Iacocca, and Sam Walton. That's a pretty eclectic group right there. Oh, they're all wonderful people. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer does teach a lot of these, or these concepts also. Oh, he does, and he demonstrates the technique, uh, you know, he, he demonstrates the technique. Mm -hmm. And he uses it all the time. Um, now, let's, I was shocked to find out I wasn't so shocked to find out that our society is up at about a level of 204. Yes. And it's gone up from 195. Yes, and then it went up to 207, and, and then now it went down to 204. And so for, for people that are just coming in, so 200 is just, it's a, it's... That, uh, that differentiates truth from falsehood. Okay. And uh, positive from negative. Uh, helpful from and beneficial from destructive, yeah. And then the the I was shocked when you said that we are born with our level of consciousness. Yes. 
and most people cannot improve. The most that some most people can improve is five points. Well, I said that's the, the statistical average. Okay. The people that are spiritually oriented will 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 run up hundreds of uh, uh, points in a lifetime. Hundreds of points. Uh, they may come in at two fifty and uh, leave here at five twenty uh, because they've become involved. You know, you get it by osmosis. Uh, anybody who's affiliated in any way with any spiritually oriented group is going to benefit uh, just by participation in the group itself. There's a group energy. So um, any spiritual orientation uh, tends to improve uh, one's health, happiness, and raise one's level of consciousness. Yes. So this needs to be done with other people, not just by yourself. Oh, you can know. You can do it all by yourself. I'm okay. just saying uh, you can exhilarate it, exhilarate it by also some participation. And it doesn't mean you got to go to church every Sunday, but to have an interest in various spiritual lectures or healing groups. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so it's about finding your path. There's not just one way to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know, because I, I was, many of them, I belonged to the first Zen Institute in, uh, many, many years ago, and I went to Episcopal Church, and uh, then I became an atheist for some years, and then I went to a Jesuit university. And <laughs> so I had a really diverse uh, spiritual background, and I became interested. A lot of my friends in New York were Jewish, and I became interested in, in Jewish uh, history, and so I had considerable exposure to a great variety of spiritual orientations, and I found something lovable, you know, you know in each one of them. So it's about evolving. You know, it's uh, being participating in a sort of a group energy. Yeah, I mean, all all the listeners that are listening to you, and your kind of a program, are are they them they themselves constitute a group? Where, that are interested in self-improvement and self-empowerment and being a benefit to themselves and their family and the world, uh, they themselves constitute a group, uh, you're, all your listeners. Okay. I and mean, you wouldn't have negative people out there listening to this program. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they turn it off. They would, they would. <laughs> people below 200 really hate everything that's above 200. They really do. They hate love and graciousness and forgiveness and anything spiritual and especially God and everything. <laughs> Are those the cynics? Huh? Are those the cynics, those below 200? Yes, uh, skepticism and cynicism are negative attitudes. And, uh, you know, they, they're a poor substitute for wisdom. I mean, wisdom instantly gets the positive and the attributes and also sees the limitations uh, the cynic uh, is really narcissistic and really can't see the truth of anything and doesn't trust anything because it can't see the truth of anything. Yeah. This morning I was at the gym and um, the TV was on and it was on some, uh, some station, some cable station. But the whole idea of the show, it, they were talking about the SAG Awards and the, the, the dresses and the outfits that people wore. And their whole hour was filled about criticizing people or maybe liking people, but there was more criticism. And eventually I just put my headphones on and stayed away from that because I didn't want to be a part of that. But <laughs> the thought that I had was, 
what a what a way to do life. What a what a way to do a job where you're critiquing other people oh. and putting them down. Yeah, yeah. Look how ugly they are. Look what a sad looking dress that was. And it, and it's <laughs> it's stuff that really isn't important about the dress or whatnot, but just the the criticism that comes out and the feelings that could be you know hurt by it. It just it felt just so unnecessary, and I I, I was thankful that I was not a part of that myself. Yeah, so you just wouldn't be attracted to that kind of a, a job, you know what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Now, the other thing about the levels that I found interesting was it, the more education you had, the higher your level Well, could education be. Uh, is not really related to level. It's related to the 400, the consciousness level of the 400. And education does advance one's capacity uh, to comprehend and, and make sense out of uh, reality. But it's not really necessary. Okay. Education actually, actually contributes, yes, it contributes a good deal. But it, it's not a determining factor. You can be highly educated and quite negative. I uh-huh. mean, the blogs, the blog sites out there tell you that. Uh-huh. There's people that are very fluent, but they're just filled with hate. There's blog sites that are devoted to hate. I couldn't believe it until people started bringing them in from the office and say, read this, read this. And I said, I don't believe this. <laughs> really? I, I've been, I haven't been a part, I haven't seen that, so. <laughs> There's so much information out there. Um, yeah. So how can one learn how to ascend through the levels of consciousness? Well, what you do is you give up uh, uh, narcissism and selfishness and all of its expressions. Um, you let go negative thoughts, the willingness to let go of negative thoughts. You accept the fact that there is an infinite being, uh, an infinite creator of the universe, and um, that your purpose in life is to evolve, to become more loving, to become more forgiving, more understanding, more compassionate, to become a blessing to life and to the world. So that people are very happy to see you you come, uh, because you have an uplifting effect on 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 the world and life in the world. Yes. Forgiving. Sometimes people feel that if they forgive somebody, they're going to be walked all over. But you well, say that's different than passivity. Passivity is one thing. Forgiving is is seeing that everybody operates within their own limitations. And people can only be, you know, what they can be within their limitations. Um, yeah, all of the great groups, the famous ones like 12-step groups and, uh, of course, the Miracles, etc., all what they try to do is transform the way you see people so that forgiving them becomes almost automatic. They don't know any better than they can only do what they can, they can only be what they are at the time. Mm-hmm. And if they could have been more forgiving and more benign, they would have been. But they're not able to, and you see that people are controlled, you know, by negative feelings. And those negative feelings all come from the core of the ego, which is narcissism. The core of the ego is me, 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 me. I want, I don't like, I have to have. Um, it's all obsessed with me. 
And uh, the sooner one goes over that, the more enlightened one gets. And then if it falls your way, that's great. And if it doesn't fall your way, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you called me up and we had a great conversation on the radio today, that's terrific. And if you didn't, well, I would have gone on and done something in the garden, you know. So life is okay either way, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, you said uh, to forgive is to be forgiven. Yes, actually, it's through forgiving that we are forgiven. Uh, you can't get rid of uh, see the the basic one of the basic causes of all illnesses is unconscious guilt, and and unconscious guilt is an automatic consequence of holding resentments. So the way to get sick is to hold on to resentments. Because that way you'll end up guilty and feel that uh, you have to karmically clear yourself and you're going to punish yourself. So you have to get rid of unconscious guilt in order to get rid of illnesses. So I have another set of lectures coming out uh, called Health and Healing, in which I go over all the bodily ailments. I had most of them in my lifetime. I had a terrible medical history. (laughs) How I survived to be 80, I don't know. There's so many thoughts going through my mind right now. Yeah. 
Um, real quickly before we move on. Now your wrist, is that where the meridian is for your ulcer? Uh, I didn't track out the meridian on it. Uh, oh, okay. It was, uh, my left wrist, you put a needle practically from one side to the other. It's a hoku point, I think it is. And um, anyway, I forget the number of the point on the acupuncture chart. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, having tried everything in medicine uh-huh. and all the antispasmodics and antacids and having transfusions and everything, it was still incurable. Now, the whole world is laughing at acupuncture at that point as some kind of Chinese, uh, you know, mystical uh, imagination. And, you know, I've been cured all these years. <laughs> well, and acupuncture's been around for, what, 2,000 years? Yes, in the Orient, but not in the U.S. Uh-huh. It was brand new when I went. Everybody laughed at it. They said, you're going for what? I said, for <laughs> acupuncture. Ho, 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 ho. They all laughed at it, you know. <laughs> That's what happens. I said, listen, I'm desperate. I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up our discussion with Dr. David Hawkins, author of Power Versus Force, The Hidden uh-huh. Determinants of Human Behavior on How She Really Does It on KDRT LP 101.5 FM. So before we leave, I really want you to talk about power versus force and the whole concept behind that so the listeners can learn about that. Well, power is, uh, is the overall context. It's the infinite field that surrounds you. And um, force is limited. Force is, it means it's causal. This causes that. Now, people get well within uh, the vicinity of healing energies. So it's not cause. It's not due to force. Let's say you, uh, you're recovering from some kind of a, an ailment and you go to a spiritual group. Well, nobody's forcing you to do anything. There's no force involved. But the power of the group can be, a, be such that merely being there brings about recovery. You hear people talk about love and lovingness and, and uh, things that are unscientific. That's not scientific to talk about love. But the core of all these healing groups you'll find is some aspect of lovingness, forgivingness, forgiving yourself and others, loving yourself and others. And that is a powerful field. Now, a powerful field like that, anything you put in that field is going to heal. <laughs> a sick anything that you put in a positive energy field is going to begin to heal without doing anything to it. You have to do anything. Have to do anything, and people's lives become transformed. So, if you speak to anybody who has been through any kind of a spiritual group or training experience, or of course of miracles, or AA or twelve-step groups or anything, any kind of recovery group, um, they can't put their, they can't put their finger on anything causing it at all. All I can tell you is that my life has been transformed since I've been following this particular pathway. And that's because power is stronger than force? Power, yes, is much stronger than force. <clears throat> power is not linear. It's the infinite field. It's like gravity, you see. Mm-hmm. It's a gravity. It's like the gravitational field. So you put yourself in a field that is powerful, 
and you begin to pick up the energy of the field, and you yourself become powerful, not by what you do or what you say, but by what you have become. What you have become now, see? So people who even listen to this program, you know, their level of consciousness has already gone up just by communicating with your, your, both of our intention for them. Mm-hmm. My intention, your intention, is to be uplifting and enlightening to the listener that their life opens up now. Maybe a door opens up where they felt hopeless and they say, hey, I just haven't looked far enough or I just haven't I've been looking in the wrong place. I've been looking at magic instead of just looking at trying to become the kind of human being in which these things are likely. I mean, a person who is very positive in attitude is going to be successful no matter what they do. It doesn't make a difference what they do. If you put them in a factory or give them a paper route to do, uh, because their attitude is positive, they're going to succeed any place you put them under any circumstance. And it's because of what they have become. So that's power. That's power. In your book, you talk a lot about power and and government and war and different leaders and how you can rule with force, but eventually it will succumb to power. That's true. Communism, you know, ruled by force. And then Gorbachev, who calibrated by the way at 500, for God's sake, 500, exactly the same. Gorbachev took apart the entire communist empire. (laughs) <laughs> without firing a single shot. Without one shot, Gorbachev took down the whole communist empire <laughs> without firing a shot. Just like Gandhi took down the British Empire's rule of India without firing a shot because their power was so great. Their power was so great that they transformed the world by what they were. It isn't what they did, but what they were. Yeah, Regan Regan had it to some degree also. He, he just when he said, "Take down that, tear down that w- wall," Mister, who was it, Khrushchev? Uh, I don't remember the name. Well, whatever, where it was, <laughs> <laughs> you remember he said, "Tear down that wall," and by God, the wall fell. Did it not? It did. <laughs> it did. So those people didn't do it by force. It wasn't at the point of a gun. But people transform themselves. That's why we uh, uh, remember Martin Luther and uh, King, not Jr., mm-hmm. you know. It's why he became. Of course, unfortunately, some of those people who were great saints uh, got shot, you know. But <laughs> they didn't care. They accomplished their task. And they all knew it all along. They all knew it all along. Gandhi knew he was asking for it. So all of those who did get assassinated, Gandhi knew it. Yeah, they all knew that they were running a likelihood. Martin Luther King knew it for sure. You can't just be the leader like that without taking a risk. Mm-hmm. So each one settles in his mind. Is it worth the risk or what the benefit would be to mankind? And they all say yes to it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. And any time you, tr- you try to make change... Anytime you what? Anytime you try to make change or create change or evolve, that puts people 
um, and, and at an ease. And so that's how I think you become a target, like Martin Luther King. Yeah, well, he wasn't looking so much. Uh, change is different than transformation. The, the great leaders, what they do is they bring about a transformation by a change of way they think about things. Yeah, right. What, what is the responsibility of the ruler to the ruled? And the uh, British Empire was very selfish about it. Mm-hmm. Exploited the natives. And I see recently uh, the big diamond company, De Beers. Uh, there was an uh-huh. interesting thing on TV about De Beers and its relationship in Africa and all over the earth. And then surprisingly, a couple of weeks later, there was a notice that uh, the courts had awarded people who bought diamonds during that certain time period a certain uh, return on their money. For it was the money was provided by De Beers uh, to try to make right or wrong that they exploited the people and stole their wealth and uh, exploited them, enslaved labor automatically. And also the price inflation that they created with the diamonds. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, before we go, there's a passage, if you don't mind, that I'd like to read from your book. Oh. It's called, uh, The High State Which People Seek By Whatever Means Is In Fact the, the Experience Field of Their Own Consciousness, Self. If they are spiritually unsophisticated and lack a context with which to comprehend the experience, they believe it is created from something out there, right. i.e. a guru, the music, the drug, the lover, etc. Right. All that has ha- actually happened in that, under the circum- special circumstances, they have experienced what is, in reality, in here. Their own self with a capital S. The majority of people are so divorced from their own state of pure consciousness that they do not recognize them when they experience them because they identify with their lower ego states and with their own lowest common denominator. A negative self-image blots out the joyous brilliance that is the true essence of their identities, which therefore goes unrecognized. That's true. Well, it should be true because you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true because I experienced it. <laughs> so... Well, Dr. Hawkins, I really appreciate your time today. I enjoyed it very much. It was very good and to I talk hope with we've, you. We've, we've uplifted uh, the, vid, the vision of the people listening to you so that they know that within themselves is all the wonders that we have talked about, and it's only to be discovered. It is only to be discovered and to evolve yeah. throughout our life. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very all much. Right, love. Bye-bye. I enjoyed it. Bye.